Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks, Assistant Director at the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services. And I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Tosha. Hi. And child and adolescent psychiatry fellow, Dr. Al Atkins. Hi, Al. Hey, everybody. Views expressed and let's get psyched to those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. Let's Get Psyched is not intended to replace mental health assessment and treatment. The information shared on the show is for educational purposes only. Well, this is going to be part two of our fireside chat on clinical supervision. We're going to focus on challenging experiences, also going to touch on things like boundaries um, and just vulnerability in during clinical supervision. And we're so pleased to have join us once again, Dr. Marshall Forstein. Psychiatrist Dr. Marshall Forstein has led Harvard's Cambridge Health Alliance Psychiatry Residency Program for 19 years and is an associate professor at Harvard. He was one of the first openly gay psychiatry program directors and has been a member of multiple HIV AIDS committees at state and national organizations. Dr. Forstein, Marshall, thank you for joining us again for this fireside chat. Thank you for having me. I, I, you know, I, we kind of left it last time, the part one about uh, challenging experiences, and, and you kind of, uh, you know, shared a little bit about some experiences that you had. I, I'm, I don't want this to be like a episode where I'm just burning people people up about my and they probably but they probably aren't listening to this thing anyway when i was, I do want that that's exactly <laughs> what i want i want aaron and marshall to burn up all kinds of people and that are that are long gone and not not name them <laughs> yeah i don't think i don't think there's the chance of someone listening that knows about this is probably zero so when i was a a, a field practicum student before my internship um i was at a, a community mental health clinic and I was supervised. I could be at that point, at that level, since I was a field practice student, be supervised or a master's level person. And there, I noticed immediately there was some sort of bias or some sort of uh, pr- pr- thinking in advance about how psychologists are. So the stereotype that this person had is that we're too intellectual. We try to do too much teaching. We don't really uh, allow people to be themselves and, and share. We don't, we're not client-centered. We just are very directive. So he he always trying to kind of place that version on me, and and very challenging the whole way. It was it was very tough for me as a young person not to fight back because sometimes I can get a little ornery as as me Tosha and Alan know. <laughs> <laughs> it was very challenging me for not to not to do that, and I would share. But I, I so I tried to be vulnerable. I I shared about with him some ideas for possible books I would write. And I'm, I swear at the end of the supervision, he did not give me uh, a, a very good, he gave me a, a, he passed me, but it was, it, there was a lot of things that I didn't like, but he said, you know, that book that you're planning to write, I am going to write that book. Whoa. I know that was, that, that really shocked me. I, I was like, what, what do you mean? Like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm planning on writing that book. And so, and he just left it like that. Whoa. And so I, I, I know I didn't understand quite, but it was kind of like now things can be shared that this is my oh, idea of, of you and, and what you do. And, and I, I felt I didn't have a chance. So that was one of my worst supervisory experiences that I had very young at the time. This Did is so juicy. I, I've not checked Amazon. Also, I have not written the book. So neither of us has followed through at all. It was Wait, very, so, it was so what was the idea there? Was he, was he kind of like, 
was he just openly telling you like, I'm going to steal your idea or was it like that he had already had the idea and you're not original or what, what was his vibe? I see that was the weird thing. He didn't preface it or he didn't a- a- offer any concluding comments to place it in context. Wow. He just, it, it was our last meeting and he just threw it out there and that's what he did. And well, I, I thought it was always challenging me the whole time. It was very difficult. I think he was competing with you all along and this was the last, you know, I won. You mm-hmm. know, I feel it might have been like that. Yes. I mean, it, it does come down to like, it's your word against mine over whose idea, you know, it was to write this book. Um, I wonder, Aaron, what about some challenging supervisees? What kind of experiences can you tell us about that? Yeah. Oh, boy. So I think the most difficult ones are the ones that have a very, very different theoretical orientation than myself. Yes. And um, they're already extremely strong and deep in it. They're, they're, they're convinced that this is the way to go. And there's just no give. At least I'm not noticing a give. And I like all these, you know, these suggestions that uh, Marshall is giving about, you know, how to open things up more, how to introduce things more, being be vulnerable, to be be say say the unstated things and you know in a respectful polite way about some of these about what's going on to open up new channels of communication because i feel like looking back i didn't do that enough and there were a lot of unspoken things and then i feel at some point that the thing that made it worse is that someone went outside of the supervision experience told another person in the group practice and then that person then uh, started talking about our supervision experience. Ooh, that felt that that were boundary issues. That Yikes. instead of like coming to me, they just kind of went around, kind of talking about how things weren't going that well, and uh, you know, Aaron's going to do this, and Aaron's going to flunk this person, which I had no, that wasn't even on my mind. I was just wanting to make it work and that kind of thing, and so that made it worse because there was that there was not. I, and I, 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 we didn't, we never knew. And we just kind of like talked about like, you know, on these kind of things, if you're noticing a colleague, you feel is not doing very well, or it, there's not good supervision, or you feel like there's an issue, there's some, you know, go, try to go to the, the colleague and then kind of share some of what, what's going on about with some of your discomfort or go to the train director perhaps. And then I'm um, talking about that. And so then we can start developing a plan. We can resolve these things. And then the train director can kind of help out. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, well, I guess this is changing topics. So before I change topics again, Marshall, did you have anything you wanted to comment on about that? Well, I think that it's important. I think the dilemma for training directors of any discipline is the balance between authority to make the program run administratively, the need to set kind of guidelines for how things will be done. And that includes when there's difficulty, you know, we don't want to create um, avenues for splitting. We don't want to create avenues of talking out of school. We want to really think about, you know, when there's a problem, what is your, what's the order of who you go to? You know, it's one thing to talk to another supervisor um, about, in a generic sense, have you had a problem with a resident like this before and how did you handle it? 
rather than to talk necessarily about the specific person. Often uh, the resident or the trainee is being supervised by more than one person, and it's not inappropriate for the two supervisors who are both supervising the trainee to compare notes and to try to figure out, is it just me? Am I missing something? Or are you having the same problem? And keeping that in confidence. And then at a certain time, you have to call in the training director who ultimately is responsible for making sure that the program is providing what the trainee needs. Um, but I, I, am, I sympathize with you, Aaron, because I've had um, residents who I've supervised who complained to the chief of the department. Um, and fortunately, the chair of the department said, have you gone to talk to Marshall? Um, nice. But we need to have a kind of ground rules for how we do business. Um, and I think that that has to be stated up front, not after the fact. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there's like competing uh, behavioral schemes here, right? And I've done both. So, so I've been the tattletale sort of. It, part of the chief role is like, um, I, I'm, you know, I have a great program director. I'm quite close with that person. And um, myself and some of the other chiefs had some concerns that we recently sort of decided. We went back and forth for like half an hour about whether we wanted to gossip or not. And we decided to like aggregate all of our issues without mentioning a specific person's name and just talk about like issues with attendings in our program in general. And that, that went nicely. But I've also like when I'm frustrated with the attendings, I will talk about them. And what I do is I talk about them to the to my clinical supervisor that I have like weekly dedicated supervision with, because it feels like I have community supervisors that aren't sort of like directly in the program. They're kind of like more mentors who are retired. Um, and it's nice to be able to talk to them about it. They know the people I'm talking about and I can feel like I'm not gaslighted. I could feel like I'm sort of validated on these issues and talk about it in a way that will make me less angry about it and that will let me see their side. Um, if there's a real issue though, so I just, for the first, probably for the first time in my life, told a mentor or told, told sorry, told a supervisor and I guess a mentor that I was uncomfortable. And this person was immediately like, like kind of freaked out. They're like, Oh, you're uncomfortable. And I think that they were in their head thinking like, Oh my God, is this going to turn into like, I'm going to report them or something. And I was like, no, no, like I'm uncomfortable in like the way that you say in therapy, like I'm uncomfortable about this. This is interesting. We should talk about this. Not I'm uncomfortable in like the academic professional way of saying uncomfortable. And I had to, I, it took me a while to explain that to like, kind of get this person to be a little calmer about it. And I was like, it was what you said, Aaron. It was, I'm sort of, my whole background is CBT and I'm now getting very psychodynamic curious. And this person, like many other people in academia. Yeah, and that this person, a lot of my training this year has been psychodynamic. And th this person, you know, kind of just without knowing a ton about psychodynamics has the sense from their academic training that psychodynamics lacks feedback. And I, br I brought like a big PDF of all of the, or sorry, lacks evidence. I brought the big PDF that one of my psychodynamics supervisors sent me of like 300 randomized control trials of psychodynamics or something, none of which I actually know anything about. And we kind of went back and forth and it was uncomfortable and it's uncomfortable because it's like, we're having this interesting, challenging conversation, but I'm the trainee. And I, mean, I guess both parties are nervous because I've been on the other side of this where it's a med student challenging me. And it's like, 
we're having this cool conversation until we're not anymore until someone goes and like tattletales or like reports it for something and then you're like oh my god and then is the tattletaling really tattletaling or is that what you're supposed to do right because we are encouraged to like kind of speak up to the pd anytime the program director anytime we feel uncomfortable and so it's pretty complicated i mean it sounds like what you're talking about is having trust right in that relationship of supervisor and supervisee yeah yeah I can yeah. give a very concrete example of this if, if they would be helpful. Yeah. I, I always have to think about real things. So I was, uh, as a resident, I was seeing in my outpatient work, I was seeing a, a young graduate student who was uh, Black. Um, and he was seeing me in therapy to figure out what his next step educationally was and uh, whether that would require a move or not. And he was in a relationship with a uh, considerably older white man. Um, and um, being gay was not his problem or concern, but he had some questions about why he was attracted and dating an older guy. The background I knew from the history was that he never got to really have his father as his mentor. And certainly there were some issues around never having been able to come out to his father and get his blessing and so forth. Now, the, so I, I tell this story to my supervisor, who is a heterosexual man who's delightful and lovely, and we're having a great time together in supervision. Um, and I was also in a relationship with a Black man. And so uh, in the last five minutes of my supervision, um, oh, my patient had decided that he might try to date somebody his own age group, which I thought as okay, well, let's try to understand what's motivating you to do that and, and what that means. Uh, so my supervisor said, well, that's great that he's thinking about alternative possibilities. While he's at it, maybe he should think about dating women. Boom. And the hour's oh, over. Uh, Look, I'm stunned. And I mm -hmm. leave. Um, well, at 3.30 in the morning, I woke up my husband and I said, he was a psychologist. I said, I need some supervision. He said, "Really? Now, <laughs> in a wake up morning, I was furious, and I was realizing what I was furious about." Yeah. Um, so I stewed about it for about twenty four hours, and I finally called up my supervisor and I said, um, "Can we meet sooner? I, I really need to talk about something that uh, happened in supervision." Wow. And he said, "Sure, absolutely." We got together, and he said, "Tell me what's going on here." And I told him, and he was so apologetic and horrified. Mm. It just popped out of him. And he said, this is why we all have to be on guard about the homophobia we have been trained to think about. He was lovely. He understood mm. why I was angry. We continued to work together in a really positive way. And both of us grew. Wow. I had to learn that it was okay to go to somebody and confess my discomfort, be vulnerable, and feel okay about that. Um, that's a good outcome. There are others. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. I, I what a great story. Sorry, Aaron. Oh, I just I, I think that's so great that you you know to, I think it's important to admit mistakes, yeah. allow yourself to not know things. It's almost like you're kind of role modeling too about Definitely. how you would like things to be. Um, if you're just joining us, you listen to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR, and we're here with Dr. Marshall Forstein talking about. Uh, nightmares in clinical supervision. Now, <laughs> you have something that you wanted to share. 
Yeah, I think we should name this episode uh, "Bad Supervisors." Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm, yeah. So, so I. It's weird to find myself. Being well, like I mean, actually, voice. that was an example of good supervision, though, right? We all have our implicit biases, and that he was good. willing yeah. to respond. Yeah, he this is, no, well. it, worked it through, which is the real issue here. Yeah, we work through uncomfortable things. Yeah. Well said. I, I don't know that that's the theme of the episode, but uh, yeah, you're right. That that that's beautiful that he was able to like overcome a bias that a huge number of folks have. And and, and how brave you were, Marshall, him... to bring it up. Oh my god. I so so that's what I wanted to to talk about. Is like I wish I could say that that's I love that, and I sort of wish everyone did that. And I also know that. That's a lot of the times, maybe the majority of the time, not how it rolls now. There, you know, how mm-hmm. easy is it to fill out an online form that has like a, a red flag thing that says, and, 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 you know, this is done for a reason. Like, I mean, especially uh, at, at Brown, right, where I trained for, for med school, like there was a, a culture of very quickly, it, it sort of reminds me of like cancel culture, right? It was just like, very, we, we had this really intense social justice training the first two years. And then you go into the hospitals and there would be people who weren't all on that, that agenda, right? There'd be older uh, attendings from the community who had different political beliefs and weren't a part of like what we called like the brown bubble. And all these people, all the trainees would have to do if they felt offended by something that was said or, or weren't into something that was said was fill a bubble out on a form. And then all of a sudden that person ha- is is somehow in trouble. I don't know that it really amounted to much, but I, I, I don't know. I won't speak to that part. They had to, I think they got to some kind of panel that they had to work on stuff with, but um, you know, on one hand, I love what you did. I would like to do that. I think like there's a real beauty to, it's sort of like a transformative justice process that you initiate yourself. And on the other hand, this whole system of not going to that person is designed to protect people to go having to go to a toxic person about their toxic abusive behavior. And right. like, it's, it's a losing battle to go to a person who has already been toxic and say, Hey, I'm uncomfortable with the fact that you're toxic. And there's a lot of people who've been hurt by that. I, I, almost everyone we all know as a, in medic in medicine has at some point, you know, like, cried in a closet somewhere on some IM ward. Um, so their attending wouldn't see. And this is supposedly changing that. I think it is doing some things to change that. So the te- like, there's sort of th- that like backended sort of more, more, I don't know, could be called passive aggressive symptom ha- system has like huge value too. Tosh. Before we get to, um, uh, well, I want to come back to the question I wanted to ask in this episode, which is, Marshall, in your work teaching residents, supervisors, how to supervise, what have been some major takeaways? What has been some tips that you've gotten really positive feedback for in that teaching? So uh, one of the things we do is we don't just teach the residents about what is supervision. We have the faculty come together for two evenings uh, a semester Uh, to talk about what supervision is and how we want to use supervision to promote ideas. We want to promote uh, confidence. We talk about the the formal and informal ways in which supervision can function to strengthen the individual and therefore uh, flow downhill to be better psychotherapists. 
Um, so I think one has to talk to the to the residents, but also talk to the faculty. So we bring a panel of people together who can talk about what supervision has been like for them. And then we bring the faculty in to really talk about what it's like to be a supervisor and what are the things that they worry about. Um, we demystify the process. We wanna make it more transparent. The things that I think um, trainees have taught me is they know that I'll keep confidence as a training director and as a supervisor for anything that they demand me to keep confidence, except if there's a danger to themselves or to a patient, obviously. And we make that explicitly clear. The things that I think trainees have taught me is that they like the fact that I don't, I'm not set in my ways, that I think I have to learn who they are. So we spend time at the beginning of supervision talking about who are you? Um, I know you in this context, but tell me a little bit about, you know, what you're interested in and what gets in the way. We had a supervisor who started the first supervisory session with a resident by spending 35 minutes giving her CV to the resident, talking. And, and the resident was like, huh? And came to me and I went to the supervisor and I basically fired her as a supervisor, as a training director, because I said, that's not going to help the trainee trust you. It seemed to be more about you. Sometimes it's not about us. Um, how do we make our trainees feel safe on so many different levels is really the key here. Mm. Uh, honesty, transparency, um, sharing difficult things. I share at the beginning of the year with the residents some stories about where I had trouble as a psychotherapist, where I had trouble as a supervisor, and what kinds of things make me uncomfortable. Um, and so by being just real, I think um, it's helped a lot. Okay. Well, the sharing is so nice. It's uh, I remember two interviews, one with you and one at UC Davis, where the program directors were really vulnerable, and it just immediately made me fall in love with those programs. And, yeah. Um, Aaron, I see you have a question and then I want to, I want to ask a question after you ask her a question. Oh yeah. Thanks. Uh, Tosh. I was just wondering that, uh, you kind of mentioned, you know, you get to know that that's something you kind of started off with to get, really get to know who you're supervising, which I think is great advice. Now, how do you handle when they're sharing a lot of counter-transference issues or things going on in their life? How does this make this question makes sense? How far do you go with it? Yeah. Like it like how and how do you manage that when they're the, when they're sharing a lot of personal information that's affecting perhaps the, the therapy? Sharing with the patient, you mean? Uh, with with in supervision. In supervision, you know, I I think that that's at the beginning of the supervisory meeting. Um, I try to get the faculty to sit sit down with the residents, trainees, and say. What will work? What's worked well for you in the past? If you've had supervision in the past, and what didn't, um, and we try to really understand mm. what worked well okay. and why. Um, I we talk about sharing, oversharing, boundaries, boundary crossings, and boundary violations. We make those discussions explicitly clear, and we talk about how countertransference anxiety can sometimes cause us to spill. And that we have to remember that as therapists and as supervisors, we, this is not about us. 
is about the patient. So we try to stay focused on that. And, and I tell the residents, if in the moment you're getting anxious about something, go to your supervisor and talk about what that anxiety felt like. Um, the supervisor sometimes has to be able to say, you know, I'm really pleased that you were able to share this. I think this belongs in your therapy. And I'm going to suggest. Now, in our program, mm. I, I would say 95% of our residents get into their personal psychotherapy because I make it clear at the beginning, how could you possibly know yourself well enough at the beginning of doing therapy or supervision that you don't have somebody that you're talking this through with? Mm-hmm. I think it's that's tragic awesome. that that's not a thing anymore. I, I'm I'm grateful that in our program, we there's kind of a provision in our insurance that allows us to do analysis. And, and that's been that's unknowingly, that's been maybe one of the best parts of my yeah. being in the program. I'm not, I'm not, I'm in, I'm in psych. I'm, I'm not doing enough times a week to be calling the full analysis. So I should correct myself, but close. All right. I have the next question. So Marshall in your teaching, what have been the most common challenges uh, brought to you? Um, I think it's the uh, angry resident, the defiant resident, the resident who's always right um, because they can't tolerate being wrong. And that clearly goes back to something much deeper than we're going to get to in supervision. You know, mm-hmm. um, uh, I mean, I, I think people go into becoming psychiatrists for mostly good reasons. Occasionally, it's because of some unresolved stuff. And that's why I think a good training director and a good supervisor have to sit down with that resident and say, you know, things are not going well. And we think you need to be in a psychotherapy. Um, And we'd like to, uh, if we need to, we'll lessen your clinical load for a bit to give you some time and space to think about this. Are you willing to give this a try? I've only in 19 years dismissed two residents who refused to do something that was thought to be absolutely essential to be safe with patients. So when you recommend psychotherapy as a remediation, how do you talk about that with them? And then has it worked? Um, Most of the time, you know, it's, oh, I can't afford it. Now, we've also been able to get their insurance to cover uh, weekly therapy. Um, and in fact, outside of the faculty, I won't let them see faculty that mm-hmm. they'll be teaching with. Uh, so we make a deal and, and we're lucky in Boston to have lots of therapists in the neighborhood, so to speak. So it's not a problem getting them. It's much more difficult with one program, I was talking to the training director who's out in a um, Western state, You know, there aren't that many people in the community to refer them to um, and that's a problem. That's why I wish we could do national um, licensing. Um, But I think it's very important for the training. I had a good training director, fantastic training director who modeled for me how to be a training director. Um, And the the model was be firm, be fair, be flexible, and tell the truth. Um, Say it like it is. I think we have to abide by our own sort of uh, rules and regulations as well. And again, I go back to transparency and uh, talking about process, whether it's the process of psychotherapy 
for the process of supervision. Um, we're supposed to pay attention to these things. And that, that's true whether you're doing pharmacological supervision. You know, um, I always say to the resident, you may know everything you need to about this agent, but if you can't get the patient to take their meds, what have you accomplished? I, I think also we have to be not so full of ourselves in doing this work. And, um, I tell the residents, you know, your job is to teach me while I'm teaching you. Yeah, that's such an important lesson. I think it's a, it's one that, at least for me, has to be learned over and over and over. Yeah. yeah. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Let's Get Psyched. Today, we talked about challenging issues in supervision, as well as some nightmares, but also just issues of boundaries with Dr. Marshall Forstein. Marshall, thank you for joining us for this episode. My, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I've enjoyed the and discussion. Thank you also to our co-hosts, Toshi Yamaguchi and Al Atkins. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucr at gmail.com. You can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. And if you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. Our production assistants are River Evans and Megan Aguilera. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched. <laughs>